people pleasing is very similar to any addiction, cigarettes, um, drugs, alcohol, shopping, whatever makes you feel good. And essentially, if you do it, it means that you need others' energy to energise you. And part of self-mastery is learning how to energise yourself without Mm. the need of others to be more kind of self-sustaining and independent, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge, powerful reframe for everybody listening, like the fact that you're actually relying on others to give you energy as opposed to energizing yourself. I've never heard of people pleasing being explained that way, but I think that's a little bit of a wake up call, you know, for people. Dear Balancer, I know you're a determined person on the lookout for ways to live a more fulfilling and balanced life, but you're busy. And if we're being honest, that busyness often comes at the expense of your priorities. The Balance Theory podcast is made to teach busy bees just like you how to find and own your own definition of balance so that you can become unapologetic in how you choose to spend your time. I'm your host, Erica, and together, let's find your unique balance. All right, balancers, today's guest is on a mission to build confidence in people to become remarkable and influential leaders as well as individuals to be versions of themselves without self-doubt or fear of failure. I'm so excited to have Stella Petro Concha on the show today. She's an author and self-mastery expert, and so much of what she talks about speaks to my soul. So I'm so excited to pick her brain today. Stella, a huge welcome to the show. Thanks, Erica. It's my pleasure. It's so nice to have you on. Just to um, give the listeners, I mean, I know I've given just a very brief intro into what you do, but can you paint the scene? Give us a little bit of a picture about a day in your life. What is it that you you do with your time other than being a mother, which is a full-time gig, no doubt. <laughs> oh, look, the top-down view is I'm the CEO of a, talent, a national talent agency in Australia. Um, I operate mainly in the C-suite, individually uh, working with CEOs and boards to place high-level talent. I own a second company that works in the executive development space, so I work with the C-suite to help them develop their self-mastery, their backstage leadership, as well as their front stage leadership. I sit on the board of University of Technology Sydney. Um, I'm an author now. I'm an author, which is probably why I'm on the podcast. And, you know, on a personal front, married 18 years, two kids, and just a normal woman, I guess you could say. (laughs) A normal, (laughs) awesome woman. We love it. Normal, normal, awesome woman. Yeah. (laughs) How did you get to the position where you're now putting other people in that top level talent is that how did you like were you in HR and then moved your way up is it no 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 not at all not at all not at all so I've got a medical background I did a I thought I wanted to be a doctor and I did a degree what haven't you done I actually haven't got any business background at all I've got a clinical background so if you have a heart attack and you know, I can probably help you get out of that situation. But that must know, be good interview agit- prep for CEOs. An, it is actually. There's such a translation between clinical and corporate. It's so mm. translatable. Um, but I didn't like that. And I started a business in cognitive behavioral therapy and that kind of failed. And then anyway, I fumbled for the first five years of my career until I found recruitment. And look, for the last 15 years, I have been in this space, in the recruitment space, and I started like a junior. I started working in administration, I guess you could say, and worked my way up. But I've been an entrepreneur for about 80% of my career. So I've been self-employed for the majority of my life. I'm nearly 42. Um, So I, I think that 
everything that I've learned to date has been through failure. So testing, failing, learning, testing, failing, learning, and just navigating my way through that landscape. I do not have a background in business. I do not have a HR degree. I do not have an MBA. I do not have any of that. What I do have is a medical degree and lots of executive development through lots of different institutions and finding my feet. And Mm. I guess uh, defining my own path, not letting the world or mum and dad or the relatives or whatever institution is out there to define or dictate to me what my path's going to be. Yeah, I think a lot of people can resonate with that want, that like desire within themselves. But let's go back to what you just said, which is you learnt a lot through failure. I have a very similar view, which is failures are merely lessons, right? They, They help you understand things so you don't make the same mistake again. But how did you actually build that resilience and that drive to kind of forge your own path and and not let that fear of failure stop you? Because it's one thing that failure happens, right? And then you deal with it. But it's another to actually not even begin or try because you're so scared of that failure in the first place. So what do you say to people who are sitting in that fear at the moment? You've actually triangulated on three things here. So that that is a very complex question. And I'm going to answer it in three stages. So the first thing is, is well, how do you deal with failure? The first way to deal with failure is to acknowledge the absolute universal truth that the only way to grow is through failure. In fact, failure or some form of destruction in any area of kind of our world, our universe physics, is how growth happens. So, you know, when you learn to walk, you have to fall over. When you go to the gym to, you know, grow muscles, you have to rip or tear your muscle fibres for it to grow. So these analogies are actually translated into your psychology and it's also translated into your leadership, it's translated into your confidence. So the first step or the first answer to that big question is you have to recognise that this is the only way forward. Now, in most societies, people are reprimanded for failure and it's unfortunate because what it does, particularly for women, what it does is it gives us a negative behaviour loop around failure. So the first step is, is, oh, you've just got to acknowledge it and then learn that every time you fail, it is the pathway to growth. It's the only way to grow. So if we can't have a very loving relationship with failure, then we're going to be behind the eight ball for our own life. The second part of your answer, it's an acknowledge, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the sun sets, you know, yes, it does set because the world's turning. It's kind of a universal truth. Like if mm-hmm. mum and dad sat yeah. us down at five and said, all right, kid, your life is going to be a series of failures and at the end of every failure, you're going to have an opportunity to grow and learn. It's the nectar of life. But what a wonderful opportunity is to even be breathing and have the opportunity to fail, isn't it? One, No, they don't do that. <laughs> is that is that what you've instilled in your kids or tried to? I do, Yeah. That's Absolutely. Awesome. I do. I don't I don't get angry at them if they've failed, but I I do steer them. And children don't really fail. Right? The, the failures really happen kind of when well, we Well, they don't hit. see it, right? They don't see well, it as don't. a failure. They're learning. They don't. Mm. They're learning. But, you know, I think that the stuff-ups really begin when we become a little bit older, you know. The other part of your question was around mental toughness, I think, or grit, or how do you... Yeah, the resilience to just sort of just break through and try to to try even though you have that fear. 
Yeah, so once you've acknowledged that it's the only way to go, then it's about detachment from your own judgment of yourself. So Mm. what stops people from jumping in the ring and giving it a go, the fear, is actually self-judgment. And the judgment, the fear of the judgment of others. I am worried about what other people will think of me and for that Mm. reason I won't try because I know I'm going to fail because I've never done it before. I know this is not going to end well and I'm too scared about what people might think of me. So there's a whole piece of work that I do, and I think it's probably the the centre of my work, around detachment from the judgments of others and detachment from the judgment of self. Mm. Because judgments are just, they're not really real. You'll judge in one manner today and your judgment will change tomorrow based on whatever your value systems are at that given point in time. And this is pretty advanced kind of thinking that we're talking about here, but it's necessary if we're going to progress as the human race. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of people listening can really resonate with both of those things as the self-judgment so that the feelings of I'm not good enough or I can't do this, I'm a failure. And then the second thing, the, the fear of judgment of others. Now, it's so crazy to me. I mean, I am absolutely have felt both of these things before and still to this day it comes up from time to time. But it's so crazy when you think that you wouldn't try something that your heart desires for the fear of what somebody else would think of you. Like you would go your whole life not putting your heart into something that you really want because you're worried about what someone else who their priorities themselves is going to think of you. Now, without obviously diving into the complete body of work you do, are there any just like high level tips or things that you can share about the art of detachment, as I like to call it, to help people who might be in this position where they feel like they really want to start something, but this fear is like really holding them back? Is there just anything simple that they can start to think about or do something really tangible they can sort of take away from what we're talking about? Um, well, a simple tip to detachment, I think maybe. You know, when you're in that moment where you feel fear, you know, and I can't, I just can't do this today, to step back into kind of, I call it the observer, which is, you know, your observer, and observe that thought. And when you observe that thought, you are detached. Because Mm. if you are attached, you can't observe it. Yeah. So I think you know, the easiest way is to keep stepping back and observing yourself having these behaviours. But look, I I mean, I speak really deeply about worrying about people's opinions of you. And I was at uni the other day and we were talking with a a group of kids actually, um, and these kids are young adults. And I said to them, when someone passes judgment of you, they think you're really shit at what you do. And they actually, you know, they might not even talk to you. They might treat you like a second-class citizen. And I know you know the feeling. When you take on that feeling and you you drop in your energy, you feel sad from it and it lowers your confidence, I want to ask you a question. Who is running you in this moment? Are you in charge or is the other person in charge of you? And they reflected on that question and they said to me, well, it's the other person that's in charge of me. And I said, that's right. So in this example, by accepting the judgment of others that you shit and you're a bit of a second-class citizen, by accepting it and wearing it and going down from it, what you're effectively doing 
is you are accepting their model of the world and you're wearing it yourself. So long as we accept the judgments of others, essentially what we are doing is we are accepting the model of the world of that person and we are letting their model of the world control us. Mm. And it's such an illogical and an irrational thought because there are so many people in your life that will pass judgment on you. So many. Your parents, your siblings, your friends, your bosses, your colleagues. There are like hundreds of people, call it 200 people, that will pass judgment on you. And if you accept everything that they say, then there are 200 or so people that are running you. Mm. And therefore, you are not in charge. You are not the CEO of your life. You are not the ruling authority. You are not the person in the driver's seat. Every time you accept somebody's opinion of you, every time you apply their thinking in your life, they become the ruling authority. So what I've learned over the years and what I've Mm. studied is that the people who are really detached from the opinions of others are really the most empowered. Mm. Well, it makes sense, right? And by default, they've got confidence because they don't care Yeah, what people think of them. It's interesting if you reframe like what you said as well. Like if, if you think of how many just judgmental thoughts you have of others, you know, sometimes they just, they pop up. It's, you're not conscious of it. Imagine every time you had a thought that imprinted onto somebody else and controlled them. Like it's quite irrational when you even think about it like that, but that's the extent to which we let it have an impact on our own lives. Um, and that's I, I, right. Couldn't agree more. I think it's such a powerful skill to get under your belt to instill that confidence. But if we like shift this or direct this conversation now, I know you talk a lot about like the blame culture. I think as well, if we're talking about like in a corporate setting, which a lot of the people listening can resonate with, or just in general, like being in a workforce, how does this concept kind of correlate with that? Like, do you think that corporations have a long way to go in terms of stepping away from this idea of failure and then also embracing a kind of new understanding of it to move away from the culture of blame? Like, is there kind of a role for them to play to kind of onboard this new way of thinking to empower their staff? Yeah, corporates are actually doing really well so far. So the World Economic Forum put out a report last year stating that self-mastery was one of the top 10 critical skills of the future and therefore as a result of that good corporates are actually trying very hard to redo their organisational plan and instill all of the elements of self-mastery as part of their learning and development schedules and that's why I'm so interested in it and the universities are doing the same. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I think where we need to improve is at an individual level, you know, because it's not a corporation's responsibility necessarily to develop your self-mastery. It can create good environments for it, but it's really the individual's uh, desire. It's kind of like, do you want to be healthy? It's up to you, you know. So it is one of those things. But, look, it is getting better out there. I think that the bigger the organisation, the better, to be honest with you. I think the smaller firms will struggle to put 
um, these practices in place because they're still dealing with like foundational issues. Yeah. What would you say to people listening who maybe manage teams? Maybe their corporation isn't at a place where they've kind of fully embraced this idea of self-mastery. What are little things they can do just as from a leadership point of view, or just in a team in general, to start creating the environment for others around them to feel comfortable prioritizing that? Because I can tell you I've worked in places in law firms where that's not really been a priority and for someone to leave at five because they want to go home and cook dinner mm. or, you know, catch a sunlight before, you know, little things that make them feel healthy and alive. Those things are kind of put a second ranking versus the work and needs of clients. So how do, how do you kind of find your feet in, in an environment that's maybe not conducive to that if you are even managing others or just yourself? Yeah, it's, you, it has to start with you, the leader. And if you're not a leader and you're an individual, you obviously have to be aware and see if you can put some boundaries in place. Because the reality is, is that, oh, in, I mean, in Australia, we're in a talent shortage. I'm sure it's the same across the globe. So the power doesn't really sit with the company. The power sits with the individual at the moment. And I think that everyone should really capitalise on that, you know, like everyone's kind of desperate to find good people. So we're all looking after our people. But I think for leaders, I think the truth is, is that whatever your vibrational energy is based on your own self-mastery, you, the leader, that energy is sets the tone for the team. So if your team is misaligned, disruptive, not performing, I would say that you need to look at yourself first. I think that's going to be a bit of a shock to a lot of the people listening. I think for a lot of people, uh, it's, a, it's a lot easier to externalise blame, right? Well, it's because X person's not performing. It's because X person doesn't have the skills. But I would actually tend to agree, like the, the energy you bring to a team, it's kind of what other people mirror. This is actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about this idea of us being like a mirror in our relationship, right? And the way that we view ourselves is a lens by which we view others too. Do you think that has something to say for people in this position that maybe if their teams are disruptive or even their organisations in general, that's how they're viewing that, is that potentially like the lens in which they view themselves? Is there a correlation there or is this more in like the personal, in a personal capacity? No, 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 it's all correlated but uh, not so simply, the lens that the leader has is their lens, right? And their lens is a projection. Their lens is actually a judgment. So if their lens isn't well managed, then they will project onto their team whatever misalignments are going on for them. So let's just say they don't agree with strategy or they don't like that person and the way they spoke to them. If they project that onto their team, essentially it's a judgment they're projecting the judgment, their own judgment down into their team. And that is very bad leadership mm. because everything that you say as a leader and everything that you feel, it will be felt. And therefore, it's important that before you do speak and before you do really feel that you get in alignment with that. Mm. Again, self-mastery. So you know, you've got a lens, I've got a lens, we've all got a lens. It's based on our own values and belief systems and it's not wrong or right. But the journey of leadership is advancing that lens always and kind of chunking up the hierarchy, so having a more one world view than a, a single view. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's what we're all going for, you know, like that's what diversity and inclusion's about. That's what good corporate and social governance is about. It's having 
a better world for one and for all because we're all one and we're all equal. That's what that's all about. Mm-hmm. So, sure. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I wanted to just before I move on, just pick your brain on one thing you said before, which is, you know, there's a talent shortage and the power kind of lies with the people going for the role. and They can, you know, kind of ask for things that they feel they need to have the environment to be best suited to them. What do you think are the most important things that you can ask for in situations like that in terms of prioritizing your health or setting those boundaries early just to give people some like very tangible ideas of things they can think about moving into interviews or just things to even ask about really? Um, I think that the, the first question should be around their flexible work policy. So the expectation of how they execute on their job. So obviously that flexible work doesn't just mean how many days do I come into the office, but it means, you know, what is the span of time that you expect me on the computer? Mm -hmm. Because there are some jobs that require you to be online for a particular slot of the global economy, you know, it might be seven till three, I don't know. So you've got to get clear on the expectation there. The other piece is around um, employee value proposition. So you can just ask point blank, what's your employee value proposition? Like, what do you, what, what's your pitch to employees? Like, why, what's your pitch? And, um, like, why should, why should I work for you basically? Right. Yeah. Every good company should have an employee value proposition. And there's some companies out there that might not be as mature yet, but they need to be able to pitch to you what, what's on offer. Because what what is in scarcity right now is you, the individual, the candidate. Like it's a we're we're in a very candidate short market. Mm. That's interesting. When the borders open up, it will it will change again. You know the power struggle will change. But for now, make the most of it, hey? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I think they're great. Great tips. I want to pivot now into something um, I know a lot of people struggle with, and it's comes down to this you know, push-pull position of being a people pleaser. And for a lot of the people I know that think they're people pleasers, in the past when I've also felt myself with people-pleasing tendencies, there is this line between I just want to do things for other people, like as in you're genuinely being generous and kind, and then when you cross the line and you're people-pleasing. So I just wanted to ask what is the difference? Like is there something key that distinguishes the two? And if there are people listening that fall into the secondary category of people pleasing. What are some ways they can, you know, maybe start to not do that? Yeah, I think people pleasing is doing things for others, for you to gain energy and love. So it's, I'm going to do this for you so you can love me. I'm going to do this for you because I'm so empty inside that it's the only way for me to feel good. People pleasing is very similar to any addiction, cigarettes, um, drugs, alcohol, shopping, whatever makes you feel good. And essentially, if you do it, it means that you need others' energy to energise you. And part of self-mastery is learning how to energise yourself without Mm. the need of others to be more kind of self-sustaining and independent, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge, powerful reframe for everybody listening. Like the fact that 
you're actually relying on others to give you energy as opposed to energizing yourself. I've never heard of people pleasing being explained that way, but I think that's a little bit of a wake up call, you know, for people. Then on the note of, I guess, tools to self mastery, if we're talking about energizing oneself, even just, I mean, I know it's very personal from person to person, but for yourself, what do you find are the things that energize you that give you kind of that boost for yourself to be the best version of you? Um, I'm, really clear on who I am, my vision, my purpose, and everything I do is aligned to that. And because of that, I don't get tired because <laughs> I don't do things that drain my energy. I only do things that give me energy because it's aligned to my purpose. I really work on detaching from the judgments of others. You know, I'm 42 years old now and I can say that I really don't value the judgments of others at all. So I take on opinions and I value opinions and I think about those opinions and I uh, analyze them and I take them on and I consult people but if anyone was to pass judgment on me of how I am how I talk how I look anything it doesn't impact me at all like Teflon and because of that I have a happy marriage because it doesn't bother me I'm good mum Again, because it doesn't bother simple things in life, like, you know, just keep everything quite simple. And I work very hard on energising myself without needing others. I really want to be self-sustainable, like, you know, the old villages back in the country where they used to grow their own tomatoes and cucumbers. You know, they used to feed themselves. They, there was no local grocer that they could go to, so they had to make their own fruit and veg. So I look at that with energy. I look at that with my energy and I, I'm very responsible for my energy so if it's down I don't say oh it's my husband because he spoke negatively to me or the kids are doing my head in I don't talk like that I think oh, my energy's down I step into the observer and I go and do something about it yeah and that's what keeps me energized and that is a, a way of thinking about yourself you know yeah yeah it's it's very empowered it's very powerful because it needs no one but you. Absolutely. And, I mean, a couple of weeks ago I did an episode on the concept of self-love, which I think is often thrown around as this buzzword and, you know, we talk about the massages and the candles and, and all that is self-care. But really for me it comes down to a very simple understanding of your relationship with yourself and this idea of being able to self-sustain, to, to be the one responsible for your energy I think is goes hand in hand with that. You know, it, it's a thread within the concept of self-love. If you can energize yourself, if you can take full responsibility and charge for your own energy, that to me is an expression of self-love. And I think just it is self-love. Yeah, in in a in absolutely a, in simplest form, like even just thinking about you know how many times you you know whenever you get down about something or your energy is drained, whether it be about your relationship, about your job. I guarantee most of the time it's because you have a point of reference from somebody else's opinion, from somebody else's success, from somebody else's trajectory, right? If you can find a way to just sit in your own accomplishments and find how yeah. you feel in and amongst that, like you said, detached from the judgment of others, I know it's easier said than done. But if you can find a way to do that, I think that's so empowering. Um, so yeah. I think that's incredible that you're kind of in that place. And before I let you go, what was it like for you? I mean, were you always, did you always have this mindset? Was it something you kind of always had deep within you or was it something you had to cultivate as the years went on? No, it's definitely something that I've had to cultivate. I mean, I'm Greek Cypriot and I'm uh, from a small country town 
um, and the judgments of the Greek community were very much the guardrails by which my family decided whether I was going to be good or bad, you know, mm. and that's how these communities are, you know, these old communities, that's how that's what governs them actually, what, what other people think. Um, and I really only started this self-mastery. I mean, I did start looking at self-mastery at the age of 12 and really wow. came into it at the age of, say, 21 and started really, really working with these ideas. And I've been working uh, with these ideas for a good 30 years, I could say. So it's it's not something that you can get overnight, unfortunately. Yeah, Self-mastery expands. And once you want, like, whoever's listening to this at the moment is expanded as a result of it. And then they can't retract. Like once you understand that detachments from the judgments of others is the way to control your life, then you've heard it once, you can't unhear it. So that's, a that's you know, step to expansion. So, you know, the more you expand, it's it's also generative. Like the more you expand, the more it generates. The more you expand, the more it generates. So the bigger your energy becomes, the more detached you become, the more powerful you become. The more powerful you become, the better leader you are. The better leader you are, the more you attract. The more people want to work for you, the more success you have. It is a compounding journey. Mm, yeah, and I feel it's one of those things too that you never really cross the finish line, right? Like you start on this self-mastery. It's like self-growth, right? And then you learn more and then the more you learn, the more you realise you don't know or that there is to learn. It's like you're expanding in a, an ever-expanding box. You know, there's just yeah. you could keep going and, and, and learning as much as you like, which to me is, is really exciting, I suppose. But I think that initial step of learning the art of detachment is is pretty game-changing for most people and something I, I would confidently say most people struggle with as well. Yeah, well, that's probably the the bit that in my book that people just go poof on is is that is yeah. that piece there. That's the kind of it's like the freedom key. Yeah, absolutely. It's like I so feel speaking of I'm free, yes. Yeah. Speaking of your book, for anybody yes, listening yes. who just wants more of Stella, obviously, I mean, they can connect with you online, and I'll pop links to your Instagram below. But if they want to get a copy of the book, where's the best place they can go? I can pop links below to that as well. Yeah, sure. The book's actually sold globally um, on Amazon, uh, Booktopia, Book Depository, Angus and Robinson. It's you can you can purchase it from any online bookshop globally, and from my website in a, inside of Australia, which is my name stellapetroconcha.com.au. You can listen, consume my content on on Instagram. I do a lot of videos for people to help them be detached yeah. and therefore get confidence. Yeah. Well, I love your mission and I'm very grateful that you've come on the show and made some time to share it with me and the balances today. So thank you so much. And I'm really looking forward to just following along your journey and watching you continue to master yourself and expand in your never ending, you know, field as well. Thank you, Erica. And the same for you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much.